play them on the money line, and then roll it over every single time they win. Way out of here. Oh, goodness. The last seven games in which they've come in with rest have all gone under. For three. Plus 115, the price I paid for this, the yeah, I like it. Makes the catch at the 10, and he's in for a touchdown. This is Behind the Bets, the podcast. Welcome in the latest Behind the Bets podcast. We are taping this on Wednesday, June 23rd, and by, usually by now we're we're focused on Summer League and the offseason. We had the draft lottery last night, but because of the tweak in the schedule, we got, we're got we still in the conference finals in the NBA. So the Suns with the dramatic win at home last night, up two games to none. We'll see if CP3 and Kawhi return it all uh, and for game three. But we also have the Eastern Conference Finals beginning tonight. And a lot to digest. This line has trickled up to eight for the home team, Milwaukee. They are the overall betting favorite, at least before yesterday's second win for the Suns. And uh, we're talking with Jonathan Von Tobel of Vegas Stats and Information Network. You heard him a couple of weeks ago right here on the podcast. Did an outstanding job, very analytically driven, but also knows his hoops cold. So uh, we'll, we'll go back and forth a few uh, few opinions here, not only for the Eastern Conference Finals, but how to play the West as well moving forward with the Suns now nine straight wins, eight and one ATS during this run as well. The only time they did not cover was last night's Valley uh, Oop, as they call it. So a lot to get through. And in the coming weeks, we'll talk some football as well, both college and NFL, and have some fun there in this unique offseason of the NBA. But we're still in the thick of things in the postseason for the NBA, but congratulations to the Detroit Pistons. They, they win the lottery last night, and uh, maybe we'll talk some NBA futures as well in the coming weeks. But for now, it's all about the final four remaining in the NBA. I want winners. Time now to welcome in a recent guest. He was so strong, we had to get him back here on the podcast, Jonathan Von Tobel from Vegas Stats and Informa- Information Network. JVT, how are you, my man? Uh, I'm good, Doug. You know, and I know you know this. I am a Clippers fan, so coming off of a very tragic loss in Game Two, one that was right there for the Clippers, so uh, I am recovering, but I am good. Yeah, the Valley Oop, it is now affectionately known as, which I thought was a cute pun, which you probably don't yeah. see the light on that one. Real quick, how do you become a Clippers fan? I'm curious. So, well, I was born out in Santa Ana, and you know, spent some years out there, but you know, before I remember anything, and it came out to Vegas. So, when you're choosing teams as a youngster, I, I looked around and I saw everybody, you know, loving the Lakers and the Dodgers. So I was like, screw that, I'm going against the grain. So I, I selected the Clippers and the Angels, and I got a World Series out of it when I was about uh, what was I, 12 years old, <laughs> uh, when the Angels won the World Series. But it's been all pain for the Los Angeles Clippers. So that is how I became a Clippers fan, at least. Yeah, I grew up in the heart of LA, huge Lakers fan. My older brother all that but um i have like one friend in high school who is a clippers fan and he's similar situation like didn't want to be so trendy with his pick and uh, right. sometimes you learn things the hard way jvt is <laughs> a good valuable lesson you learned all right so i want to start in the east though because we had a game tonight and a quick turnaround hopefully our, our listeners can absorb some of the wisdom you are going to share this number's trickled up look first and foremost for the series i think it's a horrendous matchup for atlanta i think the things that sort of exposed Milwaukee in recent rounds and recent games Atlanta just doesn't have also they don't have a guy like Seth Curry out there to pick on because the Bucks defense is outstanding and I think Drew Holiday will do a great job against um Trey Young but then I mean Young also got by Simmons and, and stuff like that and they, and they and Bucks actually have five players on offense as opposed to the uh Sixers mm. who had four so I will say it's a really bad matchup, but I can't lay 475 in the series price. How are you seeing this Eastern Conference Finals play out? 
Yeah, I could not agree more with the matchup analysis. It, it was one of the main uh, components of the piece that I wrote for the website up at VEASAN.com where, you know, it, you I think it starts with Trey Young and you go from there both offensively and defensively, right? You know, with Trey Young, you mentioned it, you know, he's going to match up with Drew Holiday uh, when he's on offense almost every single possession. Holiday, I think, is going to do a tremendous job. We could talk about Holiday's offensive performance. I think it was 3 of 19 from three-point range over the last two games of that series against Brooklyn. Um, but defensively, he's going to be, I think, really phenomenal against a guy like Trey Young. Uh, and outside of that, who's guarding Giannis Antetokounmpo, right? Solomon Hill got a lot of those um, those possessions in the regular season when they met up. Clint Capella was the second most primary defender on him in the regular season. It led to Giannis averaging 24.3 on 64% shooting, 11 rebounds and 4.7 assists. So that they don't really have a matchup there for Giannis Antetokounmpo. You have Bogdan Bogdanovich, who's on a banged up knee, who's probably going to get Chris Middleton, who you know has his ups and downs, but I think is a very solid offensive player. And so all of those things on that end of the floor it's just going to be tough uh, for them. And, you know, you mentioned Trey Young. One of the keys for the success for Philadelphia, Seth Curry burned him quite a bit. They tried to hide Trey Young on Seth Curry, and he ran him through the mill. They're going to hide him on P.J. Tucker, you would assume. Uh, and if that's going to be the case, while that might not be the worst in terms of, like, one-on-one on-ball matchups, that means you're going to give up a lot of offensive rebounds because Tucker's a phenomenal board crasher who's going to attack and get some of those. And if they start Brent Forbes, which I have a sneaking feeling, we might see a little bit more of that, mm-hmm. right? That means Bryn Forbes is going to run him through the mill just like Seth Curry did. He's going to run through off-ball screens. He's going to get him to move and try to fight through all of those, and it's going to lead to some open shots. And your bench expands, too, if you're Milwaukee, right? You can play a a Portis, a Bobby Portis in this matchup. You can play more of Forbes and and Connaughton without getting hunted by guys like Kevin Durant. So just from a matchup perspective, I would completely agree. But having said that, you know, I I think that this is one of those series, Dougs, where Milwaukee is going to take care of this with relative ease in the overall series, right? Like I think they're going to win in five, but I think they're going to be a really competitive five games because look at the way Milwaukee plays defensively. That drop coverage is well-suited for a guy like Trey Young who can hit the floater whenever he wants to. You know, they can exploit some of those perimeter issues that the Bucs have had, especially in the regular season where they finished 29th in opponent three-point shooting. So you, I, I could see where we're talking about really competitive games where they're staying within these numbers because of their three-point shooting, because of Young's ability to exploit that soft coverage that they'll play but ultimately there's so many matchups that work in Milwaukee's favor I I put a little on Milwaukee to win in four and I put a little on Milwaukee to win in five because I think that ultimately they'll win out in those short amount of time it's funny I was I was going to ask you how you were playing this and I was going to do get a little cute kind of a similar way I was going to go five and six yeah uh because I do think it I don't see it going seven and I was going to give definitely Atlanta a game maybe just because you know typically that happens but um, I'm curious as though I, I also liked the Hawks to keep it close in game one, but now we're up to eight here. I feel like I'm drawing dead here with the steam. Yeah. And see when I'm, I'm like waiting for, if it gets a past eight, like that eight and a half mark, I think is where my buy point's going to be. And, and I, I just, I'm really, I want to make sure that I'm not kind of prisoner of the moment with Atlanta personally, because look, right. I thought Philadelphia was going to take care of business. You know, I bet them after game one at minus 110, and I, I got off of a little bit uh, at the Hawks at plus 470 in the series. But overall, look, Atlanta finished that series, despite the fact that they won it, they had a negative 3.7 net rating. You know, it kind of shows you what went through or went down in that series. I, I thought it was much more about what Philadelphia failed to do mm-hmm. as opposed to what Atlanta did. And so when I look at that and I look at what Milwaukee can do, I'm trying 
trying to force out of my mind that Atlanta is, I don't want to upgrade them too much, which is why I have a little on four and on five, because I think the market is overreacting somewhat slightly when it comes to, you know, I just lick the finger and test the wind. There's a lot of, hey man, why are you counting Atlanta? There's a lot of things that don't work in their favor here. And, and the injury to Bogdanovich is pretty big because if he's not as quick, you know, he's a decent on-ball defender and a very good clutch time shooter. And, and those kind of things, if they don't have that at 100%, they're going to miss them a lot in this series. Yeah, starting shooting guard averaged 30 points per yeah. in the two regular season meetings. But again, the regular season meetings are just weird. But I, I understand the Trey didn't even play in two of them. Yeah, and the one they won. But I, I'm <laughs> right. with you in the um, prisoner of the moment component. But it's a very just different team. Yeah. Uh, now, so it's almost you just have to be a prisoner moment to a certain extent. You just want to go overboard because, yeah, Philly was up by 20 in two games that they blew. So this really should have been a series that could have ended quickly. I will say uh, you mentioned the eight and a half. Um, something we talk about so much in, in football, especially the NFL's key numbers, right? Three and seven and six. Basketball has them, too, just not to the same degree. So three mm-hmm. points, 10.1 uh, percent of NFL games in the last 10 years, I believe, were decided by exactly three points. In the NFL, excuse me, NBA last five years, including the postseason, top to bottom, the most common margins of victory, seven, five, eight. All those are 6.3% to 6.6. So not the same degree of 10%, but still 6.3. And then goes three, six, and four. So just that strike zone in the middle there, that chunk, where we've actually seen some line moves here. We saw the Clippers game go from six to four and a half, four. And we've also uh, seen this, this, this game going from seven and a half uh, excuse me, seven, seven and a half to eight. So if we get to eight and a half, like those are key numbers that really could be a strike price because of the fouling and the chucking of threes at the end. Yep, completely agree. So that's why I'm waiting for eight and a half. And, you know, I am curious for, you know, because I, I like these matchups. I'm wondering if Trey Young will finally take a step back with a three-point shooting. Because remember, he didn't even shoot the ball well at all in that series against Philadelphia. From an efficiency standpoint, he wasn't very good. Under 40% from the floor, uh, 32% from three. And I wonder if some of the game plan for McMillan is to tell him, hey, we got three-point shooters, bro. We, we, we don't need logo threes anymore. Let's just uh, distribute this a little bit more to the perimeter and, and let the other guys take care of business. That was the biggest, I think, adjustment in Trey Young's game this season, the fourth quarter. He's an yep. excellent passer, floater, fine shooter, fine. He's, but he's not Steph Curry. So I think that tweak in his game, because I believe the first half of the season, the Hawks were, I think, the worst fourth quarter point differential. And they've obviously improved that and had all these comebacks. So it's good to see just the growth. And as an NBA fan, like seeing Trey Young be awesome because he's an exciting player. And he's a good player. But just those uh, tweaks in the fourth quarter. Let's go to this uh, other game with your Clippers now headed home and all the uh, cliched jokes. They got them right where they want them, down 0-2. <laughs> uh, it's going to be interesting to track this Chris Paul thing because, let's face it, CP3 might get a little bending of the rules in the NBA, much like LeBron gets. But he may not come back till game four. But there's a chance for game three. Clippers essentially pick here. There's a couple minus ones and even minus one to Phoenix. I mean, look, the Suns are just better, right? We know that if no Kawhi and even no CP3. But... I was on the Clippers last night. I loved them, and I, I, I have to play and pick at home, although the Paul George missing of the free throws definitely uh, could have a lingering stench there. Yeah, I, so like I'm, I'm very big on like the, the whole Paul George thing. I, I think it's amazing how much crap he gets. And will those four straight games where he was brilliant just go immediately out the window when he has a bad fourth quarter in the game that he had yesterday? But you're right, like that had that had the sense of almost like a backbreaking loss, right? It's just the way that it went down for him to play the way that he did from the floor, but still split the double team right and finish and have those two free throws with the potential to ice the game and those don't happen. And then you give up the lob to lose it. Like that was, that was different from the two losses in Utah, right? Like those are close and competitive losses, but this is a win that you had and you allowed them to take it back. 
And I think one of the more underrated aspects of this series, look, Marcus Morris is not a world beater by any stretch, but game one, only 21 minutes, game two, only 25 minutes. He's clearly hampered by that knee. That is their small ball center. And so I, I see a lot of like, why are they going smaller? Well, one well, of their key components, I think, is her. And so that's that's like one injury that is too far for me to think that the Clippers have a chance in this series overall, right? They Like the cliche, they got them right where they want them. Not at this point, especially if Morris is going to be banged up. But I agree with your sentiment. If they're catching points at home, which you look, the market will overreact a lot. If Chris Paul is ruled in for game three, it's going to move toward Phoenix. They're going to close like a two, maybe two and a half point favorite on the road. But regardless, I think they're going to be competitive in each one of these games. I had them in game one. They were up four, or excuse me, they were down four with the ball and they turn it over and they end up losing that by six, if I remember correctly. And then yeah. they cover last night. This is a this is a team that I think has been dug undervalued by the market and maybe it's perception, whatever it is. But I think they're going to be a, a very good ATS team in this series. They're very competitive to give Ty Lue and this team credit. They don't quit. Uh, they will very much fight in a lot of these games, but they have matchups that work in their favor. Those if they do try to go small ish, like as they can, I think Luke Kennard takes some of those Marcus Morris minutes and Batum's your five. You can still exploit a lot of stuff off the bounce. Kennard showed in the fourth quarter that he's still an electric three point shooter. I think they're going to be pretty competitive and the power rating for the Suns is only going to go up if Chris Paul gets back in this lineup. So I kind of approach it from a game to game basis with the Clippers. I think I'm just going to be on them throughout the series, you know, catching points for pretty much every single game. And that's the way I think I'm going to handle it. I play amateur psychologist a lot. I'm worried that if yeah. the Suns get that injection in the arm of Chris Paul's return in game three, that there's not going to be that traditional letdown up 2-0 going to the other team. Um, I think that could be doomsday for the Clips because you're right. They are playing shorthanded with the Morris stuff and obviously without Kawhi. I'll have to wait and see. Uh, for me, mm -hmm. it's a Clippers buy if there's no Chris Paul. I, I do like yep. him. I don't think there's going to be, you know, it's not, Paul George isn't going to turn into Nick Anderson in the rest of the playoffs after those missed free throws here. Um, and, I, and I love it. I don't know why Kennard wasn't playing in the first few games of this play, postseason. I love him. Um, I love his shooting. And I'm glad Tyron Lou finally got on board with that. And obviously with Mann as well. It's a fun, it's a fun matchup. And so nothing. You're going to go game to game. I'm looking at the Clippers. If no CP3s, you just have to wait and see for game three in that one. But uh, there's some props out there as well. I'm looking to play the Morris unders because you're right, that, that knee injury mm -hmm. is bothering him. So they're they're still posting props out there, and Zubac is getting some run. But the Suns have been outstanding. I've been really impressed with DeAndre Ayton this entire postseason, this entire year. Staying with Cameron Payne, really resurrected his career. So hats off to the Suns coaching staff. So it's hard to find real weaknesses when they're attacking and, and making big buckets. But that crowd was something. It'll be much different at the Staples Center in LA. JVT, thanks so much. Really appreciate your time squeezing me in this morning and giving, uh, giving everyone your uh, insight. Yep, you got it, man. Anytime. Thank you. Pay that man his money. All right, that's going to do it. Thanks to JVT. I believe his Twitter handle, it's, it's me JVT or me JVT or something along those lines. Jonathan Von Tobel uh, does a great job at VSIN. It's at me JVT. And uh, you know myself, at Doug ESPN, we have Daily Wager every day this summer, every weekday, I should say, and uh, really ratchet it up with the Daily Wager podcast as well. That is weekdays. We post around noon, 12, 15 p.m. Eastern, and uh, a lot of good stuff, and that's in and out in less than 10 minutes. So a lot of content out there in the betting space. Hope you guys are enjoying it. Of course, we have picks every day on ESPN.com's chalk section. We have a running file for uh the NBA playoffs. So just daily we'll have post props and things along those lines as well as the game and over-unders as well. So best of luck the rest of the NBA postseason. We'll see you back here next week on the Behind the Bets podcast.